Welcome to the Flake Miri podcast or Flake Miri show or a show about Flake Miri. I don't know. But either way, it's a, it's a show about Gwent and so much more. I am Flake and I'm joined by Shin Miri. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Good to be back here for episode four, A New Rope. Well, it's OK. That should be a new hope. But I, I should have seen that one coming either way. <laughs> The pun was uh, exceptional, Shinmiri. That was pretty good. Uh, it is uh, indeed episode four, a new, a new rope. And uh, it, today's episode is actually sponsored by, uh, well, nobody still. And um, I mean, still, that's okay because you can, I guess, you guys can be rest assured, I suppose, that given the fact that we have no sponsors, that you will not be interrupted by any commercials about you know male grooming tools or energy potions or or whatever else is popular, uh, sponsoring these podcasts. Yeah, um, one day, maybe. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, one, day, one day, we may or may not get Dagon. So today's uh, Dagon weather report, weather, <laughs> Dagon rumor report, still nothing on the horizon. But, I mean, you know, we do have those 12 leader cards that are supposed to be released in December, and Dagon was previously a leader in this game, so now- I don't know. Now you're the one who's planting <laughs> the seeds. Typically, that's a flake thing. But um, yeah, I mean, OK, full disclosure to everyone out there. We Shinmiri and I do have things that we cannot tell you. There are there are just facts and information that are sometimes given to us ahead of time. I'm not saying all the time. We're not knee deep in the machine that is CDPR learning about all this stuff but there are sometimes things that we know that we cannot tell you because we will get fired out of a cannon directly into the sun or whatever the nda explains but uh yeah i mean there there is a fact that there are 12 cards coming which are are they actually confirmed as like quote-unquote leader cards i mean they're i i think they said they're going to be using or a lot of them are going to be using whatever leader card arts were still available from the past like i think like ethne had a card art that wasn't uh used yet um yeah. what else like i don't know there's definitely in the history of quent there's definitely some card arts that were in the game before at one point uh and they no longer are and so that way if they're able to reuse those assets for new cards then it saves them a lot of time and money and some of these are really really cool card arts that we've seen in the past that no longer exist it's, it's you know, it would be great to have them back game. Not saying that all of these cards are going to have old art, but I think at least some of them. Like, well, we've seen it in the past. Like, I think it was like a year ago at the same time, there was that 12 card drop or so that we had the Bruver, you had Francesca, mm-hmm. Full Test, things like these, right? I mean, this is just sort of a second wave. And in reality, those were fairly impactful cards. I mean, they were. a lot of those were really shaping. I mean, Full Test was pretty important. Um, uh, Bruver was a very built around kind of massive, yeah. massive threat in long rounds. Um, Francesca kind of was one that I thought was going to be ba- bigger, badder, nastier, and didn't quite stick around to be bigger, badder. Ice, ice was a really impactful one. Yes, yeah. ice was and still is a focal yeah. point. Um, there are some that are just you know they they get married to particular leader abilities. Mm-hmm. And that just make them great. Like those types of peanut butter jelly style combinations, I feel Iced and Blaze of Glory are forever married together as being just two peas in a pod. Like that is just how you play that leader. Mm-hmm. And um, like Horson Jr., I think was also one of those 12 card drops. But when he was first introduced, it wasn't as strong as it is now. And then it got buffed after seeing no play for a couple months. And then once it got buffed, it's like a staple syndicate that- all this to say is the fact that there are 12 new cards, uh, leader-inspired cards coming around the horizon. Uh, you know, Dagon was a leader. Dagon mm-hmm. uh, is... Did not- have card art. Correct. Did have card art. So that's not like they're good, you know, they, they're they go- just going to the well for it. It's not like they have to go out and, you know, um, contract new artists to, to kind of do this, new animations. It exists. It's out there. Uh, still, from what Shinmiri and I can tell you, uh, based on our, you know, appreciation of being gainfully employed, um, there is no Dagon on the horizon. 
that uh, <laughs> from what we are allowed to tell you, there is no Dagon on the horizons. Take for that what you will. Um, yeah. So that is the Dagon rumor report, which uh, we do bring you every week uh, because you're worth it. And I believe that's something that everybody wants to see. And uh, I guess for some, we are the closest thing to insiders that they may have access to. But yeah, not happening. But things did happen uh, several years ago. Over the course of Gwent, we'd like to bring you a little bit of Gwent history to a degree. This week in Gwent, about a year ago, uh, we did get the Alzer journey. And I liked that journey. I thought that was a pretty sweet journey. Yeah, me too. It was unique. It was unexpected. Nobody really thought the uh, character like Alzer would get a journey because he's like not really a huge part of the books or the games. But he is definitely a big part of Witcher history and lore. I thought I really liked what they did with it. The characters and the lore they put behind it. The cosmetics were great, of course. And yeah, we got like a, a, a wide nerf of a wide array of nerfs to artifacts with that patch a year ago. Uh, more than so, like 2018 was actually oh, 2018. Okay. Yeah. So way, yes. way, way back. Michelle. Way, 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 way back. Three years ago. Yeah, and uh, it was kind of known as the 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 dagger through the heart of the artifacts. Um, I don't want to say like the artifact uh, archetype, but I, I'm trying to think if if even was three years ago were there still minimums for units in decks, or was it still kind of you could still sort of float around with this no unit nonsense? So- and just, Homecoming came out three years ago, about like, yeah, uh, about, you know, three years and a a few weeks. So this must have been the first patch since after Homecoming. And they nerfed a bunch of like artifacts like Sihil because like it was one of the most annoying and powerful strategies at the same time. Uh, No unit S. Scoia'tael, no unit Skellige, I think was another faction that played it, no unit Monsters. You know, a lot of factions were just abusing, like, the Mastercrafted Spear, the Shield, and then um, the Sihil. Well, Sihil actually got what might be one of the most dramatic nerfs in Gwent history. I mean, for for instance, if you're kind of trying to equate what a, what a nerf would be in terms of its impact, you have various different degrees of what you can nerf on a card. If a card is a vanilla card, there are really two things you can touch. It's the, the strength of the card, like the power of the card, or the provision of the card. And if you're adjusting one point, typically speaking, adjusting one provision point is a bigger nerf than adjusting one power point for the most part a lot of cards along the way when patches come through we're now at patch 9.5 right we have so many different patches along the way i think this patch was something like patch three point something or two point something or whatever so but this one got a three provision hike from 12 to 15 that is legitimately saying that we effed up and we had no idea the power level of this card because we missed it by like miles and I, I, I'm pretty sure if I, I don't, I, I think if my memory serves me correctly, that even after this three provision nerf to 15 provisions, it was still seeing play because they didn't actually change fundamentally how it worked. Like it was still cooldown one after the 15 provision. Nerf. Right. I think later they had to change it to cooldown two, so, but it was like so good that it, it would even people would still play it at 15 provisions. Which is obscene. It is absolutely obscene. Uh, just as a, a ma- like a minor rundown, there were ten artifacts that were touched. Sea Hill was essentially the most dramatic, but the second most dramatic, in my opinion, was the fact that the Mastercrafted Spear and the Wyvern Scale Shield went from five to seven provisions. And for those who don't know the impact of these now completely forgettable cards, these were five provision artifacts that were essentially worth one point a turn. Uh, non-interactable because um, I don't know if Heatwave was around back then. I could be wrong. I don't know if Heatwave was still like an, a weather or if it had just kind of not been around. But no one's heatwaving a five provision artifact. Right. Um, but these were on the board. It's either boost one by turn or uh, boost once per turn by one or <laughs> deal one damage by one per turn. It was the most... You know, uh, I don't want to say like I, when these this came out. I remember Pumpkin was one of them, which is like I'm just gonna play Weather and Shields and Spears, get la you know get last say, and then play like a, a four point card, and who cares? It doesn't matter what you, you have, have no points. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter. This was quite a dramatic change in terms of how uh, CDPR envisioned the impact of what artifacts were. Not to mention, I think this was also the first 
blowback from the community of saying artifacts are ridiculous. You guys have to look at this. Yeah, I think that, you know, that was probably in my mind, the biggest misstep when it came to the original homecoming release was uh, the uh, imbalance of artifacts and even just like, not just imbalance, but like the design of artifacts. And I think since then, it's been three years since. And I think CDPR has gotten much better at designing artifacts and they've moved away from the type of artifacts that do nothing on deploy and all of their value is stored on their order ability. And they've kind of started drift, uh, leaning more towards artifacts that do a little bit of both. Like some of the value is in its deploy when you play it. And then some of the uh, some smaller value is on its order. We've seen a lot of these new locations being released over the last year or so, right? Like, uh, you know, every faction has a location like uh, the Wit- from Way of the Witcher, like Heron Kaduk, right? It, on deploy, it's an artifact, but it plays a card, a unit, and then order effect, which can be carried over to the next round, does something small, something worth about like four points, two to four points. And then um, we've got Mushy Truffle, the latest one. It's a little bit bigger, but it's still like, it's like six points on its order ability that can be carried over. And I think as long as the the order ability that cannot be interacted with except for Heatwave, as long as that value remains on the lower side, I think it will prevent artifacts from becoming unhealthy like they did, that like they were in uh, the early release of Homecoming. Yeah, the unhealthiness, a lot of it also came from the fact there, uh, I believe, there was just these, there were no minimums in terms of how many units you had to play. So mm-hmm. the games were, it was kind of like this This really, it was the, it was a, it was a worst case scenario in terms of a launch for a game that's trying to re, you know, reimagine itself from what it was, which was this uh, create, fiesta these like really exploited rules there was an immense imbalance and it was kind of figured out down to the down to the numbers of how to play dwarves to their max potential and and things to that degree and then it gets repackaged and rebranded and polished and fired out of a cannon right back at your face and it's a great game today it's beautiful and i absolutely adore it but at the time it did have still some growing pains because part of the the rebrand and part of the re presentation to the world because how many people left and said i'll be back when you guys figure this out and they come back and then essentially you're playing against decks where you cannot do anything to your opponent's cards it is a very very bad um you know advertisement for the game and i and like you Mm -hmm. said growing pains for the game and the developers and everybody to say all right maybe artifacts need to be they need to be gold and they need to be very very you know, I don't want to say circumstantial, but like you said, they're they are, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they are kind of broken up into like these two pieces. So upon deploy, they're not getting full value, and there is an option to maybe limit the the future value of it or to to address it to a degree. Because a lot of these locations, like you said, Heron Caduc or or Mushy Truffle, um, you, your opponent does typically have an opportunity to disrupt the full value of that card. And I like the way that they've kind of addressed how oppressive artifacts were with the sort of these new waves of locations with with sort of these two-tiered, you know, value uh, value progression. Yeah, I think so too. So I think that that's uh, one of the most important lessons learned from Homecoming so far. And I think they're doing a pretty good job with artifacts. Um, yeah, artifacts like... There was at one point even an argument to tie them to some condition of having units either in their row or on the board or adjacent to them. Like it could be lore friendly as in like uh, you need you need a unit, a person to like hold the artifact in order to activate it. And that way you can't just have a board full of like four or five different artifacts and no units to interact with and just pinging like crazy. Fascinating to me is the fact that Pitfall Trap went from seven to eight provisions in that patch, and now it sits at what six? Is it six? Pitfall Trap? I think it was six or seven no, again. No, I think it should be. I don't even know. Seven or eight? I would. I think it's eight. Oh, maybe. But I'm I think wrong. they. I mean, they reworked it. Pitfall Trap used to be different. Let's do something different. 
Uh, gosh, it's it's so crazy how many <laughs> things have just changed. Uh, anyway, well, yeah. that that's that's basically sort of a snapshot of what Gwent was three years ago, and again a year ago was the release of uh, the Alzer journey, and here we are now with the Regis journey, which. Uh, in terms of value for this, and I've seen a few people put out videos in terms of like, is it worth it? And that's a, a that's a common theme for videos whenever these new content drops occur, especially the ones that really require a financial investment. I know that um, you know Christo puts one out. I've seen some from other content creators, uh, and the consensus seems to be that this journey is pretty damn good bang for your buck if you are, I mean. You, myself, I like we compare our in-game resources like it's like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's this embarrassment yeah. of riches. So to us, I get the journey because I like the cosmetics. I like getting the keys. I, I, I'm just this weird completionist. But if you are somebody who is new to the game, does this journey not just seem like amazing to you like the value in it it's that crazy you value it's crazy value like i i don't even know the full gist of it but i took a peek at the journey 100 levels and they have like uh every single evolving card in there yeah from every like from every faction those are all legendaries there's like an oniromancy i believe and a heat uh, wave. like yeah heat wave like amazing cards that can go in every deck um and uh, on top of all the cosmetics right so you're you're not only getting cosmetics, you're also getting cards that uh, very meta, very competitive cards that can help you, you know, leapfrog into a competitive deck. Like, that's the one thing that really got me because I have bought into premium passes for other games, for instance, for like Magic, let's say. Mm -hmm. And back when I was playing Magic like two hours a day, you know, when I was really ladder hungry and I was really into the game, playing two hours competitively a day, I'd probably hammer out maybe, you know, eight eight to ten matches a day, let's say, and I'd progress through it. The cards you get out of it, yeah, you get packs, you get this, you get that, but the cards and the, you know, the alternate art, first of all, you didn't get the cards, you got alternate art for the cards. You get like expanded okay. borders for the cards. So you didn't even get the cards. You had to first <laughs> open the card in a pack. This is a whole different ballgame because the cards that you get in here are no joke. They are, I mean, um, Usurper, sure. Maybe not meta right now, but how long has that card been really good? Ethne, go and make a symbiosis list right now and enjoy your Ethne. Um, Harold, Harold with Blaze of Glory and, and or Harold with, uh, you know, any kind of... Um, uh, warrior build totally crucial and then on mm. top of it it's like oh and by the way here's the best removal in the game and here's the best tutor ever printed in any game ever <laughs> it's obscene and and i if if you're new to the game and you're kind of look first of all shimiri and i don't get paid to say this kind of nonsense we're just very upfront and honest when we when we see bs we call bs and this is just something where um even us who have everything times a thousand we still bought it and we still are enjoying it so uh go get go get the journey um it's it's well worth it for sure yeah you even get like three leader avatar skins for the price of one because regis has like the human form the hybrid half human half vampire form and then the full higher vampire is this your favorite skin like out of curiosity what is your favorite skin my favorite skin my favorite skin is siri because she's the fastest i don't care about aesthetics or looks flake i just care about how fast the leader is when i click on them so that i don't end up roping out okay that's my number one priority <laughs> can i just say i don't think i don't think in the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours that we have broadcast together I don't think I've ever seen you get worked up to that degree. <laughs> and as soon as it comes down to the timing and, you know, because, but you know what's funny about that entire exchange, Shinmiri, is the fact that you have 90 seconds or so or 60 seconds leading up to that mm -hmm. point and you choose to, to cram like an entire turn's worth of action within like 0.36 seconds at the end of a turn yeah so, it's, I'm, I'm very precise I, I i know how much like for the most part i know how much time i need to to execute my turn and uh you know every every millisecond counts so siri is the fastest as far as i know so i'm just i'm gonna keep using well um that's that's awesome i could tell the the color of the m&ms with my eyes closed when i eat them that's my oh, skill nice. yeah uh all right well um 
I guess, you know what, like the way that we structure these podcasts, we kind of have like a mini script. I don't say script, but like a guideline of what, how we sort of structure the intro and such. And that was actually all within the intro section. And the main topic <laughs> that we actually want to talk about today, Shinmarie, this, I got, I got a, a nice message from uh, a big fan of the show, Geronimo, who was very much uh, wanted us to just kind of slowly dig into a topic that has bothered, it had bothered them at least uh, to a degree. And then, they wanted uh, they wanted us to just discuss it a little bit, and basically it was the fact that are some I, I will I will sort of boil it down because it was a lot of text that was sent at me, and mm-hmm. it was all relevant. But I will boil it down for the sake of the show. But basically, the question is: um, Are archetypes kind of getting to be a little bit overpowered to a degree? Specifically, the example that Geronimo offered was assimilate, and what he he sort of leans on is the fact that. A lot of engine pieces in a engine style decks, for instance, something like Thrive or whatever, you have the engine set up and usually you're getting maybe one trigger off of a deploy. Whereas Assimilate, something like Arto onto something else, onto something else, onto something else will trigger these this mass amount of several, like three or four in a potential turn. And this might just be a little over the top and perhaps this is something that is beyond what CDPR had envisioned for that faction to be. And I guess the question is, um, with that in mind, the focus being on Assimilate, are some of the archetypes perhaps getting a little bit too overpowered? And, um, you know, maybe, and this is my add-on, is like maybe we're just not going to see further help for some of these archetypes. Yeah, I think, honestly, I think there's not that many archetypes that would fall under the term overpowered, in my opinion, especially because, like, most strong archetypes can be can be power crept on, I suppose. Whereas Assimilate has this unique property where it's really difficult to, to power creep on Assimilate because... If other factions and other decks and other archetypes get stronger cards, Assimilate just gets to play them, right? Assimilate's whole identity is like, I'm playing your cards, but with extra points because I get to play, you know, a Terra Nova on top of your golds and a Brothens on top of your bronzes and an Arturius on top of your bronzes. And like you said, like all these Assimilate engines, (laughs) they're not limited at one point per turn uh, where a lot of other you know, traditional engines are limited at one, maybe two points a turn. Assimilate engines, uh, you can, if you have enough setup with them, with like Coup, with Terra Nova, you can get like three, four, five points a turn. Um, just depending on how many, you know, cards that chain into other cards that create other cards that spawn and play other cards there are. Yeah, and and, and that's, I think, what he's kind of leaning on as well, is the fact that this may have been a situation where, it could have potentially been an oversight, but the the fact remains is that Assimilate is not the top dog. It is amongst the, the 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 better decks that are out there, and I think that over the past little while it has been. But prior to that, Assimilate was still around. Brothens was still around. Uh, I think it was Terra Nova, perhaps, that kind of really just sort of supercharged it a little bit. But we have seen in the past with a lot of those pieces that were there, where Masquerade Ball was still the the you know the way to lean when it comes to um when it comes to Nilfgaard uh, you know there was you know be it hyperthin was had its day in the sun as well as um you know cloggers had its day in the sun masquerade ball obviously um some type of um enslaved you know tactics style control list perhaps was out there as well i think that for assimilate the fact that you're getting multiple triggers off of at the same time is just the fact that, like you said, just the nature of the cards and the nature of the beast in itself is that you are playing a card that plays another card, and whatever your opponent has uh, is, you know, Assimilate needs to balance itself against all factions and not only its own, and that can be really difficult to do because, for the most part, monsters only need to worry about monsters and neutral cards, you know, to consider how over the top it could potentially be. Whereas if you're trying to balance assimilate, well, you're balancing it against all six factions plus neutrals. And that is incredibly difficult to do. So I, I would I would suspect that assimilate 
after the printing of Arto Terra Nova, we've probably seen the last major piece of Assimilate for a while. Um, we'll probably see cards have an Assimilate tag on it. Um, you know, you know those cards that are like, okay, this is good on its own. We don't want to boost the power on it, and we don't want to lower the prov uh, lower the provision on it. Uh, do we slap armor on it, or maybe we just throw in something like Assimilate? You know, like something weird just to add on to it. Now, like. Mm, back in the day, maybe like a year ago, I would have said that the, the keyword assimilate on a card wasn't worth that many points. But now, I think a keyword assimilate can be worth like 10 points. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe even more, probably more in a long round, probably like 15 points in a long round. And part of it is like, it's a bunch of different things coming together that made assimilate super good. Like Terra Nova is one of them. I think Mage Torture is a big part. Mage Torture can... <coughs> got buffed from four to five strength and that made it a lot harder to remove um with veil on top of yeah, it too yeah with veil on top of it and i think another big thing well, lydia is another one that just came recently with harvest of sorrow became really good but cards like lydia and uh, newer cards that just got as time goes on the newer cards in gwent become more complex and a lot of the times these more complex cards they involve you know, mechanics that have spawning and playing other cards, like Gerhardt, for example. Gerhardt is a really powerful card on its own, a great copy target for Assimilate, and it plays another card, like the spell that it spawns. So not only Gerhardt procs the Assimilate, but then the spell that it spawns also procs all of your Assimilates. And if you're playing something like a Teleport or a Practice Mix Perfect, that's going to play another card. So that's like three in one. Right, Gerhardt is potentially three assimilate procs in one, and he's also just really good standalone value. You've got like Sorceress of Doblathana that can get you, for example, extra <coughs> extra assimilate procs from like creating a bountiful harvest. Same thing with Elven Seer, uh, with Fakusha. Fakusha gives you multiple procs as well. Lydia, steal or copy or create their bronze special card, which could, you know, be a rune word that plays another card. Like, there's just so many possibilities now within each faction to to activate multiple similar procs in one card. And it's not the only faction that can do that. I, I, I mean, like, multiple triggers in a turn. This is, I think it's, it's obviously the one that does it the best. But there are, I mean, for instance, if we're talking about something like Thrive, Thrive can be triggered multiple turns in, times in a turn if you do something like oberon into another card that you know mm -hmm. it's just the fact that assimilate does it the best because that is what it's meant to do that is in its dna is to create you know out of thin air these other units and, and whatnot steal from you um you know generate value out of thin air to to then supplement the or, or you know to to sort of synergize with the, the the various amounts of assimilate units you have on the board and then you kind of go on this massive train it's just that it does it the best but it's meant to do it the best much like monster cards are meant to have the most amount of you know potential swarm capability or just the, the tallest fattest beefiest boys on the board uh, in that regard it, and and you know i guess to answer your question to a degree Jamon, geronimo is you know are, are they getting too overpowered i don't think that it's getting too overpowered in, in, in over the top of anything else because if that were the case, by now I think it would be just it would just be hands down all over the ladder, but that's not what I'm seeing. While I'm playing, I'm running into just as many Scoyatel um um you know symbiosis lists as I am uh warrior lists as I am assimilate lists as I am um siege slash mage lists. Like they're they are out there. One thing I'm not running into, obviously, is Syndicate. That's just the one thing I'm definitely not running into, but uh, I don't think it's overpowered. I don't think that it needs to be revisited. What I think that it needs to happen is that I think it needs to just be on CDPR's radar of saying, it, like you said, Shinmiri, it, it gets buffed when other factions get buffed because you're increasing the uh, the options for your opponent to steal better cards to yeah. a degree. I think they're aware that it's one of the stronger archetypes, and that's why we saw that one provision nerf to Coup de Gras. Right, and Coup de Gras is a pretty key part of any assimilate deck, whether you're playing on Joachim or playing it on a spying a spied unit from your opponent's side of the board, or just getting the death blow to copy their unit. Uh, Coup de Gras got a nerf, and I think yeah, I think they should probably stop printing cards that help assimilate. Um, 
and look at other archetypes, like for example, like soldiers. They recently buffed soldiers a little bit with a balance patch, mm -hmm. right? And this kind of leads into our other question, uh, is that what archetypes do you think need some more love right now or that need to be brought back? Nilfgaard soldiers, I think, quite, isn't quite up to par yet, so they could they could see a little bit of love. Have yeah. any other archetypes uh, on your mind? Well, uh, you know what just crossed my mind, actually? I, I don't mean to rewind this back, but I just thought of a, of, of a little interaction that I thought it should make sense, but it doesn't occur. When you when you play Coup de Grasse and it comes back as an Echo card in your hand, if you have an Assimilate card on the board, when you play Coup de Grasse, should you not get an, an Assimilate trigger off of the fact that you're playing a created card off of Echo? Echo doesn't create a new card. It's the exact same card that was in your starting deck that moves from the graveyard back into the top of your deck. It just right. gains a doomed. For some reason, yeah, I, I, just, I envisioned it as it just it, it just creates a, a a doomed copy of itself. But it's the same card. Otherwise, Assimilate would be even better. Even more <laughs> yeah. crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, just drop in with something and suddenly it's, okay, Here, my Coup de Glass turn already starts with an entire trigger of Assimilate off the entire board. Okay, uh, archetypes that need love. I mean, you mentioned soldiers. I will uh, definitely double down on that. Uh, soldiers did get love. This patch, last patch, multiple patches. How many times are soldiers getting extra love, be it by buffing of the, like, for instance, the Redanian Knight got buffed, the, uh, the, the Tortoise got buffed, you know, a little while ago. It just doesn't mm -hmm. seem like... Because what soldiers wants to do is what other factions do, but better. You want to play something that plays big bodies on the board and can and really drop some some points on the board. Well, monsters does that better than you, uh, soldiers. Oh, you want to play something like directed damage and and a little bit of pew pew here and there. Maybe you're dropping some, you know, the crossbowmen, or you're dropping the uh, impera enforcers or something like that with the spies. All right. Well, there are other factions that do directed damage and damage your opponents better than you do um you know do you want to do swarm monsters already does that better than you it kind of is in this weird state where players will play it and then probably soon realize that you know what there are better Nilfgaard decks out there but if i'm so married to the fact that i want to play this style of play i should probably play this because i'll see more success with it i'll probably should probably play monsters if i want to play big boys and and beef, uh, big, beef, big beefy stuff. I agree with what you're saying, but I don't think it has to be like. Like I, I envision soldiers as more of a proactive strategy, maybe like a combo strategy with the Remdy and the Vrygef and Germain uh, giving you a bunch of ones for your slave infantry, right? And illusionist, the new illusionist works really well with slave infantry as well before you get the bonded. And so I think maybe just needs a little bit of number tweaks here and there and. If you can get it to the point where it does compete in points with some of these other proactive strategies that or combo strategies, then you're no longer saying that, oh, Monsters just does this better. Then you've got some flavor, right? Yeah, you're not wrong there. And not to mention you're you're getting those points under a protective umbrella of armor, right? Like if you're, if you're pairing it up properly with the right leader ability or whatnot, you should be... Uh, feeling a little bit better when you're going up against these other archetypes that might want to direct damage here or there. Suddenly, um, you know, your opponent's nature's rebuke, let's say, is not quite as potent when your four your your four strength unit is sitting under two points of armor. That rebuke ain't gonna touch you. What would have probably, you know, ended the day for a, a Bannard student, let's say, is that, you know, you'll be able to actually protect that spy or that Impera Enforcer, uh, protect it with like an Impera, uh, sorry, an, an Emissary, boost it back up, plus get the extra charge and do that thing. It just seems like it's just kind of lacking. It is, it is, it, it's, a, it's, I don't want to say it's like jack of all trades, master of none, because it's not even a jack of all trades, because it, it, it's, it, but it, it, it has its it has its hand in too many cookie jars. It's mm -hmm. it, it can swarm but not swarm good enough. It can drop bombs but not sure. they're not big enough. It could combo but not not big enough. It could control but not good enough. You know. Yeah, I agree. I think another archetype that needs some love right now is vampires. Vampires was meta one at one time, but they've gotten uh, they've gotten power creeps for a long time. They did try to buff the archetype, introducing new cards like Unseen Elder as well as Detlaf. Those two cards were with the 12 leader, uh, leader cards at the beginning of this year. and um, But they're not quite there yet, right? Vampires still don't see any play. But I think 
you know, they're not too far away. They need some sort of mechanic. I would say I would love to see vampires get some sort of mechanic where either they can uh, bleed through Veil or and or a way to like speed up their bleeding. I mean, Unseen Elder does that, but like uh, maybe like some sort of Ryogon type of card for bleeding mechanic. Imagine a card that said, well, that's it. It's like, what if there was a card that says trans tr- turn all bleeding into damage? Mm-hmm. Like that would be like, the thing about it is that eventually you get to a point where you're just bleeding your opponent so much and you just run out of time because if there's three turns left in the turn and something has bleeding a thousand, you're getting three <laughs> points of damage. Like you get it, exactly. it's not going to work out. So it, it's, it's, it takes a lot of finesse in order for vampires to kind of be, uh, you know, um, I don't want to say viable because they were viable for a while. There was a time about a year and a half ago, perhaps where, you know, wh- whenever unseen elder came out, and that card kind of wheeled in that in conjunction with Caranthir onto that card, um, onto um, Unseen Elder. You could protect it with a, um, you protected it with uh, a defender, let's say. You had Oriana going off. You had all kinds of different engine pieces. You can put a Necrorat in the front row, and it was, if it was unanswered, it was very, very oppressive. But it just met, it just, it just kind of got to a point where if your opponent didn't have enough bodies, for bleeding to be spread around if veil was around then again if all they're presenting for you is just two or three you know stacks of points the clock was your enemy because you can put 20 bleeding on each of those if you have 20 bleeding to go around but only three turns to to pop eventually you're gonna run out of bodies to transform those into points what needed to maybe be out there is some kind of unit or uh, a gold unit or something like that that exists that says uh, bleeding occurs on the start of the turn as well as the as the end of the turn. Something weird that would double up on that. So I mean, Unseen Elder does that. Uh, yeah, it, Unseen yeah, Elder does that. Uh, yeah, or or something along the lines of like just just jet like just flat out jam your opponents. Um, even what if there was even a bronze card that said transform bleeding into damage. You could maybe keep, you could or, run two copies yeah something like that or even um even a, a sort of card that traded you know that had extra value but offset it by spawning a unit on your opponent's side of the board that had a certain decent amount of power that you could then bleed so it gives you a bleeding target right like ah. if you say you know if you say like a competitive five provision card is worth eight points you could have you know, a 13-point card for five provisions that spawned a five on your opponent's side of the board. So it's still eight points, right? Yeah. It's still eight points, but it gives you a body to bleed because part of the problem is not having enough bodies. Oh, man. And then you can then get rid of that body through the bleeding, keep your 13 points, right? Um, Ghouls would love that card all day long. Yeah. Yeah, ghouls would absolutely love that card. That's the other thing. All the, all the good vampire cards that you talked about, Unseen Elder, Detlaf, Oriana, Necrorat, they all want to be played early. They all need a long round to get good value. And their vampire archetype needs a finisher-type card that you're happy to play late, that you're okay if it's being played in a short round. Vampires have no short round. Previously, when they were meta, they, they kind of shored up their short round and finisher with Osrel. I think they played like Yagurn Osrel. Maybe they even played like uh, well, the 10 for 10 living armor, I think at one point. Or, or some type of 10 point body. Armor. I mean, even, yeah, if it like, was, um, goal, even if it was Goliath, like you like you said, the, basically the strategy for monsters, uh, or at least for any non-top tier monster list was always, we need points and we need to, like you said, shore up a second, uh, a short round. And the way to do that has always been uh fat boy osril you know yep. so you can play it in a, in a round one to try to secure it that way or and you can possibly recur it if you lose that round you could survive a bleed with your stuff with your with your 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 bleeding cards your Necrorat, your your unseen elder your oriana and then if push comes to shove you can jam the osril to actually have a fighting chance but it just kind of feels bad like you said where you're 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 always pigeonholed into these situations where 
I mean, it, put it this way. If if Gwent was a one-round, 20-turn card game, vampires <laughs> would feel, like, untouchable. Like, it feels like they would just, you'd just never lose. Yeah, it certainly would be a lot better if it was a one-round, 20-round game, game, but that's just a completely different game. And I love the fact that Gwent is best of three rounds and the whole, you know, make your opponent overkill you in the round that you lose. That's a really good strategy. I love it. But you see the the problem with, like, a 13.5 provision bronze card, right? Yeah, it doesn't have to be 13 base power. But can, uh, but I like can, it. Even if it was something like a 9 for 5 that gave your opponent a 2-body, you know? Mm-hmm. That's still decent enough because yeah. a lot of these cards are depositing 2 points of bleed, let's say. Um, and the, the problem I find also is that the payoff on your side of the board to generate points off of bleed is not good enough. Giving your your giving vitality to some of your your own units is not good enough. What it needs almost is um like it 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 just it's weird. Like it, it it's like it, it's any time that you need to rely on your opponent to provide opportunity for you to win a round is never going to be viable outside of of a meta specific environment. Like if you're if you're objective is to just scratch and claw at your opponent's uh point total through bleeding their their units and whatnot well what are you doing on your side is what it is that's why decks that can be self-sufficient symbiosis for example at the very least if you're playing crappy cards symbiosis is at least dropping some bodies on the board for you to actually kind of soak up a little bit of point value while your opponent might not present opportunity for you to do anything to them and that's why I think vampires is 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 never going to necessarily be this almighty presence for too long because it is so dependent on your opponents just kind of gifting you units to to bleed and with how many veils veil units are out there right now and such like it it gets nasty it gets really really nasty mm-hmm. and I I wish it was good. It was good for a while. I don't think it was ever like tier one or anything like that, like top of the top of the heap. But it was a dangerous deck for a while. It did have this little bubble where people played it and people were kind of afraid of it. Yeah, I think it could get back. There. I think it wouldn't. I think if it gets like a good finisher or two, I think it could get back. I think so too. Um, uh, you know, real quick over here, um, let's just wrap this up with another a little piece here before we hit the mailbag, Shinmiri. Um, what would what do you think? What would you like to see come back? I, I know that in previous episodes we kind of mentioned how cool it would be to see like a, a, a revamped reveal style thing, but for you, what's something that you would like to see come back? Uh, it could even be like a rule set. Don't say three rows because I will catapult you, <laughs> you know, into a neighboring city. But you know what I mean. You, are you just talking like archetypes or are you talking about mechanics? Well, we can talk about archetypes. Let's just focus on archetypes for now because okay. I, that we've been kind of talking um, about archetypes. They're not really coming back because they never were, but pirates and ships. Pirates and ships, Skellige. Like, they need some love. They have been a struggling archetype for too long, and they never got their time in the spotlight. I think, you know, that could be a good, that could be a good one to focus on for Skellige. I was thinking about how back in the day, like, do you, you remember, like, old school, uh, like, Necker Swarm, right? Where it, you'd, you'd play the Necker Warrior to, to basically drop two Neckers at the bottom of your deck, and the Death Wish effect on those Neckers was yeah. whenever a Necker died, you pull one out of the deck and put it on. Whatever the top one was in your deck, you put it out there, and every time an, a Necker died, I didn't... How did the Neckers grow? Was it every time... consuming... One, Okay. Every, yeah. So every time you had a consume trigger, the neckers in your on the board and in your deck would grow by one. So, and then you would just be cloning them. So they would just be this never-ending clone army of neckers that would come through. And then I was thinking about how it would be cool to bring that back. And then I remembered that this is basically just V. It is V yeah. in a bronze card. And what I think yeah. that people need to understand is that there are sometimes good things that are that don't that aren't back and the nostalgia factor is not enough for me to say that that is a good thing because we did get it back. We did get old school Necker Swarm back. It just is now packaged in a neat little V bow with a box with a bow on it 
that comes back multiple times, and that was one hell of a, a reminder of why certain things should not uh, come back. But, uh, you know, in terms of old-school archetypes that I would like to see come back, I mean, man, um, I, I I wish Frost, like, very, like, very heavily ingrained Frost-related stuff was a thing. Fog as well, but... Um, maybe we'll see that coming soon. No spoilers. I don't know. Um, there's there you go. It's, it's a, <laughs> bless you, my friend. Uh, yeah. Uh, ultimately, I, I guess Pirates and Ships was another uh, cool one. Um, the other thing was just playing out of uh, playing out of like there were graveyard specific decks like the old. Remember the old school Queen's Guard lists where you play one, they all fire back, and you'd basically spend the entire game kind of beefing up this three pack of queen's guards and we have that it's called pro message it's called what you crow message uh, yeah. crow messenger then you like operator crow messenger you muzzle the one from your opponent's side of the deck you megascope crow messengers and then you play like a 28 for five Okay. in rounds two and then you play another 28 for five in round three so the more we go into this conversation the more i realize that i'm, I'm just glad that certain things were just left into 2017 and 2016 mm -hmm. and that uh i'm kind of just happy with the the way that the, the the game state is at right now um that's just me i i'm actually quite enjoying the meta right now i'm i'm you know i'm playing every day i'm enjoying it I'm trying different things, and I don't feel like I have in previous metas where you're just constantly running headfirst and knocking your head into the same kind of deck every single time. I, I, I don't know if your experience has been the same. You play a lot more than I do. I play a couple hours a day. You kind of just you hammer out a series of games, man, and 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 like you you do it all. I, you know, before we hit the mailbag, last question is: What is your just impression of the meta right now? I like it. Yeah, I don't. I um, I think there's always room for improvement. Uh, I'd always, I'd always like to see more archetypes be viable competitively. Uh, in terms of like, when I say competitive, I want to. I feel like, you know, I want to see more decks being able to get to the twenty five, fifty, twenty six hundred level of faction on pro rank. Um, and yeah, I think we're in a decent spot right now. But I think we would could get some more archetype variety and you know that's what the devs are always working when it comes to balance changes releasing new cards i think that's the end goal is to have uh, a larger variety of archetype per faction and then good balance uh between factions as well as with it's yeah balance is a whole other beast we'll get to that in a future episode for sure but uh, we don't need to talk about it right now uh because that is one hell of a, <laughs> a rabbit hole to, to trip down but uh, we do have the mailbag Coming up around the corner, again, if you guys have questions for Shidmiri and I, please go ahead and uh, reach out on to us on Twitter, Reddit, Discord, Twitch, whatever it is. Uh, we'll be back with the mailbag right after this. All right, welcome back to episode four of Flake Miri. We're going to take a look at the mailbag, see what you guys uh, what kind of questions are burning a hole in your pocket? First one up, take this one from Adams via Reddit. Is it better for the uh, game if cards are pushed to be good to be good in specific archetypes but bad in others? Or is it better to have cards that are more universally good, making predictability of decks lower upon seeing stuff like leader? This is a fascinating question. So I, I think what Adams is saying here is that is, is it better if cards are just like over the top good in one particular deck type or archetype? Or is it better if there are more cards out there that are just kind of like these uh, Swiss Army knives that can go in many right. different ones? And I guess, if, yeah, if they're more universally available to other archetypes, if, they're, if they fit into more different things, they kind of get less unique in that regard. It's one of those things where the more appealing you are to more people, the less individuality you have you know the less personality you have uh but i get i get the appeal of queuing into a leader ability and not knowing necessarily what's coming around the bend 
Yeah, and I think it comes down to like, would you rather have more type of good cards like Coral, Birna, and Fakusha that are kind of played in uh, every Skellige deck or most Skellige decks? Or would you have more, rather more like cards like Messenger of the Sea, which is specifically a rain deck, or Crow Clan Preacher, which is specifically an alpha, or um, Herald, for example, which is specifically a warrior deck? Right, like these are all examples of good cards that have seen competitive play over the, uh, you know, currently or in the past. And yeah, would you rather have cards that are good in specific archetypes, or if if there were too many Birnas and too many Fakushas, then every Skellige deck would feel pretty samey. And so I think there shouldn't be too many of these types of cards that are really strong, but also archetype independent and can be played in every archetype because then yeah you just end up with like one deck that has all of these really good cards and and there's very few flex slots to actually define your deck's archetype and your deck strategy i think what we need to also realize is the fact that even if there were a a, a, like a vast majority of the cards were these sort of do-it-all cards these these Mm -hmm. perfect fits into everything that eventually it would still boil down to the fact that people would figure out that this is the best amount uh, or this is the best sort of recipe for this leader ability so that when you do queue into that leader ability, it is going to be the same deck. It doesn't matter. People will eventually figure out that 80% of the deck should be remain the same and 20% should change. Whereas right now, in reality, I think it's like, what, like out of 25 cards, 23 to you know 22 to 23 are usually just like no this is the jam you got to go with and here are the flex slots that you can have you have like one 10 provision flex slot one like six to seven provisions flex slot and then maybe a pair of bronzes that you could sort of jam in and out that you know based on flavor but um yeah i'm i'm of the ilk that you got to have certain things that just are really good for one archetype because otherwise that archetype is probably going to flounder a little bit if you didn't there's have no reason, to, yeah, there's no reason to play that archetype if there aren't cards that are specifically yeah. good in that archetype. Precisely. Right? Yeah, yeah. I don't need to say it anymore because that's basically the point. I mean, if you had unseen elder and it didn't do anything, you know, like it's bleeding. It's it bleeds like crazy, which goes with the vampire thing. So it goes from there. There needs to be a, a balance. And honestly, I I, I think that. Um, even if everything fit into everything else, the predictability of it in higher ranks is still going to wane because of the fact that people will figure out that there is, even if it's a 1% advantage to play the same thing, that 1% means a lot over the course of 100, 500,000 games in a season. Um, yeah, hopefully that answers your question, uh, Adams, via resident Reddit. Uh, all right, here's one. We talked about artifacts earlier, uh, Shinmiri. This one's from Pukas OG on reddit hopefully i'm pronouncing that correctly do you think there should be a rework to all the bad artifacts that gwent has at the moment most predominantly the wyvern shield and the mastercrafted spear if so how would you change them well i think in their current form they're never going to see play no um and so I think I personally, rather than if you were going to change them, I wouldn't just want to buff them in terms of points or cooldown or like charges or provisions. I would like to rework them if you were to change them and rework them a la locations where they they do something on deploy and then have something on order, but a smaller something on order. We talked about this before. I think when a value of an artifact gets too focused and too... Uh, yeah too focused and all in on the order part where it's like uninteractable except for heat wave then i think you start creating potential issues and uh healthy problems i think that you're right on that i mean how would i change the wyvern shield or the spear i i you know you and i should really existed through the worst of that particular card's existence uh where it was wasn't it a four provision card like out of the box like it started off as a four provision card i think it was just like that five it was i think five. it started off five. Yeah. It, yeah either way it was just that that oppressive and it was just that problematic i mean but you're right it's never going to see play now it has a four point ceiling off a seven point body like it's the complete you know opposite of what it is it, it is the upside down of what that card should be uh in terms of value uh translation at the very least but still uh yeah um how would we change it i I don't think they need to rework them necessarily uh 
I think that it might just be good enough to just delete it and, and you know, maybe exist with the, the fact that, hey, maybe down the line, if ever they create some sort of draft that makes sense, that might be something that you want to pick up out of a draft. Like every card game has what's called draft chaff, which is like just extra cards in there that is garbage. I got it. Yeah. I got it. I've been inspired. All you got to do is take... I don't even know what these shield and spear do now. It's like, what, four charges? Four and then charges, one, one cooldown, yeah. Or, or boost and, and one cooldown, right? So leave that exactly the same, but on deploy, the spear spawns a wolf pack, and the shield spawns a whatever the villager. Peasant militia? Peasant militia, yes. Spawn and play wolf pack and spawn and play peasant militia. I know it's not lore friendly with the spear or the shield, but... You just add that as a deploy and you keep everything else the same. It probably sees some play. I don't know what the what is the provision of these cards? Six? Seven. Seven? There's seven Are now? they seven or six? Something like that. I don't know. Ridiculous. Six or seven. Like, like they, you end up getting an eight for six. Dude, they need to be like three. Yeah. Like these are the first no, no, three no. provision cards no, just, I would ever see in my no, life. Oh no. But make them six provisions. Spawn and play wolf pack slash peasant militia, depending on which one you have. And then uh yeah, keep the order the same. And I think that actually would be kind of interesting. You've got eight for six, but you have a little bit of flexibility, like being able to maybe using using the shield to protect something by one point on the same turn that you play it. Um, and you've got initiative on a lot of stuff now that, you know, it's not going to completely break things like Regis or Scorch, for, uh, for example. What's funny is that you actually, so the, the comparison I was going to make was to actually Wolfpack and Peasant Militia, where there's just bad cards. They exist, and they're going to exist, and they'll always exist. Something has and to that's be how worst. that's how you make both of these. It's two birds with one stone, Flake. You get both Wolfpack and Mastercrafted Spear to see play with this change. I will say this. <laughs> I mean, if you have two pieces of crap, you, it's if you squish them together, it doesn't make a diamond. So, just, <laughs> <laughs> it, maybe it does if you leave the provision cost the same. Okay, you don't double the provision. All I'm saying yeah. is that as it exists now, it should be a three provision card, the only three provision card. That maybe that that's my rework. Rework it. Don't change anything on it except the provision, the first ever three provision card. That's what I'm saying. That um, would be busted. It would be busted. Three provision cards. Put all right. All right. We don't need to go into that. That's a whole. Other, <laughs> those are so many different weeds. Well, we, we can add that topic to the future for yeah. future episodes. I like it. Um, all right. Last question of the day How, uh, from Zayad Neo on Reddit. How do you nerf a rework inspired zeal to make at least three Northern Realms abilities viable? Like right now, we're only seeing inspired zeal. Maybe a tiny little bit of pincer maneuver for these like degenerate decks, like all in alumni, for example, just that needs really needs that turn one or round one consistency. But outside of those combo decks, which is pretty rare, yeah, ma vast majority, probably like 90, 95% of Northern Realms decks that I face are all inspired zeal. What do you think? Well, this is the tough part because uh, I, I don't think that it's like it's it seems like it's such a, a jump to say if you nerf this, uh, everything else becomes viable. But it's true. I mean, when something's as good as it is, it's it's really odd for you to go down the route into anything else. But Inspired Zeal does one thing that is so important um, for for Gwent, which is it gives cards that need time to gestate and need time to give your opponent a, a chance to respond to them it gives them that instant burst cards like selkirk uh cards like Rafard's vengeance these are cards that typically for the most part have very high power levels or very high ceilings in terms of what they can do and it it act it insta activates them so how do you rework it i would not rework it because i think that it's something that this deck needs I, or I, it's something that Northern Realms needs. Uh, the one thing, again, minor tangent, people need to stop insta saying rework this. Not always the case. We could talk about that another time. But still, how do you change it? I would probably shave a charge off of it and maybe give it another provision or two. Uh, as it stands right now, there are typically maybe two or three, like there are two major pieces within Northern Realms that really wants that zeal right now. I think it's Rafard's Vengeance and Selkirk. Those like need it to really mm -hmm. get going. 
And that third one is so flex, and it can fit on a lot of different things. For instance, the 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 mage that spawns off of Shawnee, let's say, or an alumni that doesn't get zeal or something like that. So it does have options for that third one. And that third one often factors in and becomes important. If you take away that third one, I think that you're now you're forcing opponents to to really start thinking of, okay, I only have two charges and I know I want to give them to Selkirk and I want to give them to Rafards, but what if my opponent puts me into a position where I need to use it on something else? It starts creating a little bit of uncertainty and a little bit of, uh, you're, you're, you're basically shaving away the flexibility of that leader ability as well. And that could actually have significant repercussions for that. So that's what I would say. I would say maybe a little rebalancing of the provisions that the, it gets, but take away a charge. Interesting. You're going to give it the overwhelming hunger treat. I am, because I'm still <laughs> salty about that garbage, because I uh, still think that that you know, hurts me. Do you, do you think... I was going to... So, I don't know if this is actually a good suggestion, but I was going to contemplate the idea of doing the opposite of what Give it an extra charge, but nerf it to only boost by one instead of two. Like, do you think that's a buff to the leader ability or a nerf? I think that's cer certainly a buff. You um, think it's a buff? I do think it's a buff. Uh, I get it because now you're no longer giving Selkirk seven power. Yeah. I don't think the power is all that much of a, a big deal, in all honesty. I don't think well, that the power buff is that big of a deal other than for Anseus and Selkirk. So it's it's like you lose two points on the Anseus plus Selkirk, and then you also, your Rafar's Vengeance is only a 6 instead of a 7, which is actually killable. Whereas 7 is, like, really difficult to kill. 6 dies to Horson Jr., Decoction, Trial of the Grasses, Parasite, you know, blah, blah, blah. And maybe even, like, a 2 plus a 4. Yeah. Uh, or a Leader Charge, Precision Strike Leader Charge, and a Rebuke. Like, maybe, because it's less protection, it's less dueling power, but you get more flexibility with your zeal. Can give more things zeal. I mean, that that was just a thing, a, a thought, a random thought. I don't know if it ends up being a nerf or a buff, but I think it's interesting to contemplate. Um, but I think my ideal solution to increase the variety of Northern Rome's leader charges is to nerf Rafard's Vengeance. Like Rafard's Vengeance existing in the game without a nerf in its current form is just so powerful that you have to play inspired. If you don't play Inspired Zeal, your Rafar's Vengeance is an Elder Bear. And you know what I mean by Elder, right? It's a six strength or five strength do nothing card yeah. because it just gets locked, answered, whatever, immediately, right? When you don't have Zeal. That's why, like, that's what you were saying about Inspired Zeal. It makes your, it makes your Elder Bears no longer Elder Bears. So they should change the name. Don't rework the ability, rework the name. Change the name of Inspired Zeal to Unbearification because that's what it does. It changes the Elder Bears into non-Elder Bears. Um, same thing with like Selkirk. Selkirk could be a five for nine if you play without Inspired Zeal because it could get moved, it could get killed, you know, it could get locked, all these things. What's, but what's so I think Inspired... I was going to say what's so fascinating to me is that, you know, a year ago we may have had the conversation that the magic number is bringing something from four to five and now it's like, six to seven it's like uh -huh. get him out of those safe zones but you're right because it does take a it five is the danger zone immediately six mm -hmm. is answerable but it takes an important card a gold card yeah. typically so uh that's actually you you kind of sold me on it uh to a degree because i'm also trying to think of what the the automatic choices are for giving the zeal to something and outside of selkirk and Seus and rafard's vengeance everything else i'm thinking about right out of the box is something like a a bronze card, you know? And yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. So so I, I think in terms of my ideal solution is nerf Rafard's Vengeance so it's no longer like a must play in the faction. And then that uh, chain reaction will make Inspired Zeal not a must play. Because the other uh, other Northern Realms leaders like uh, Uprising, Shield Wall, Pincer Maneuver, Stockpile, they're not bad. They're not terrible leaders. They just don't let you play Rafard's Vengeance and Selkirk to a degree. Selkirk, also really important card because it's cheap. It removes pretty much everything that you care about removing. Uh, it, like Your opponent's unit has to be like a 12 or higher for you not to be able to Selkirk plus Inspired Zeal to kill something.
man. So yeah, I think you make the inspired zeal, tar- the targets that really need zeal, if you make them not auto-include in the faction, then the leader won't. I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, I mean, both those are two options, but I don't think that's happening. <laughs> I think I don't think they're going to, like you said, give it the overwhelming hunger treatment because uh, uh, that would... People would be upset, but yeah, it is definitely on top of the Northern Realms menu right now, and rightfully so. And like you said, a lot of that is just the fact that uh, even though Inspired Zeal might be kind of like the framework, the 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 piece de resistance in the middle of it is the fact that Rufard's Vengeance is just a really good card. Whew. Well, that's an episode, uh, if I may say so. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Again, uh, this is a Flake Mary episode four. If you want to get a question in for the mailbag, you can um, f- find a way. There's so many different ways, be it Twitter, Discord, Twitch, Reddit, um, uh, I, Love Letter. I don't know uh, how other ways to do it. But uh, yeah, another good episode, Shinmiri. And uh, like I said, uh, I love you, man. Love you too, Flake. This was really fun. I really enjoyed this one. And uh, yeah, love you guys out there listening or watching. Um, Make sure you tune back in next week for episode five of the Reddit Strikes Back. I like it. All right, boys and girls, thanks again for tuning in. Please subscribe to the channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the uh, the the Gwentfinity YouTube channel. Subscribe to all that stuff. Give us a good review. This is how we get sponsors that we beg for at the beginning of the show. Be good, ladies and gentlemen. And again, don't forget, you're not losing if you're learning. So keep playing cards, you might win. Catch you next time. Bye.